Welcome back to another episode of Gangrel Tain. We are here on a dreary tornado-y. I don't know if Jay had tornadoes, but there was there were tornadoes here in or at least in our part uh yesterday up in kind of the northern. Oh, uh, well. We had, we had ugly some, weather last night for sure. Yeah, we did. So we are back another Wednesday episode. We've got Christy with us. Hi, Christy. Hello. We don't have tornadoes here, but whatever you guys are doing down there is causing rain over here, which makes dog walking not fun. So <laughs> whatever you're doing, stop. Whatever we're doing. Well, I don't know. You guys are the ones with the tornadoes and stuff. Like, send people uh, weather to yourselves. Definitely. All right. Noted. <laughs> we'll take care of that for you very quickly. Thanks. All right. So we are coming to the table today. We thought it'd be a fun exercise to... Take a look back at history and we are going to go raid each other's LinkedIn accounts to find posts that are from the past and, um, and see if we can uncover a couple of topics uh, and some pieces that would be fun to talk through. So by way of uh, this triangle that we have going, I took Christie's profile, Christy took Jay's profile jay took my profile so we're gonna go around the horn and bring up a kind of linkedin post slash topic and uh talk about it for a few minutes and we're gonna go around the horn and do this uh for all three of us so i will kick it over to let's start with jay this is jay's idea okay. so jay's jay's got to be the one to tee up the first one all right you just want to hear him talk about your content first jeff hey that was done strategically <laughs> wasn't that nice i gotta get myself a nice little pump up i gotta get right. you know, some confidence Let's jump up. Let's jump in. So Jeff, I found a post of yours from about two months ago says, Oh, we should do dramatic readings of these two. That would be fun. Oh, yes. <laughs> I want like a very deep narrative with okay. drama. Here we go. Morning coffee. Just opened my <laughs> inbox. As I read the request to attend an upcoming QBR, I found a few areas that I would improve. Here are a few small things I'd change. Tell me what we're going to accomplish during the QBR rather than review. I'd like to be making decisions that impact where we're headed. Send me slides ahead of time so I can review. I will come prepared with specific questions so we don't have to review the entire thing. Tell me specific people to bring into the meeting. Such a great opportunity for you to expand your high and wide relationships. What else would you change? This is a really good post. Um, and I think actually someone who I'll just leave nameless flamed you for it too. They were like, oh, this is so rude to post a CSM's actual email yeah. and how you'd rewrite it. But I think this was a little bit of a, this is a little bit um, tamed down. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Tamed down. It was de-identified and, and it might've just been a story, right? But yeah. it happens every single day. Right. And I, and I just literally saw a, a post in the gang retain community about people not like, how do you combat no shows for QBRs? So like the reality is cute. What's, what is the, so I guess my angle on your post here, which is really good. A like, yeah, we have to be thoughtful about what we're trying to accomplish in a QBR and how we invite people to it. Because if you're trying to get executives into a call, then you need to be providing outsized value for their time. Right. Not just, you know, hey, I want to talk to you because that's not really valuable to them per se. They get too much else going on. Um, but in general, I think it's a it's an interesting topic here because QBRs, I, I think, are probably a thing 
need to become a thing of the past, right? We'll always do them maybe for our largest accounts who want to do them with us. But um, we've been having a conversation internally at Higher Logic in different pockets about how we can because we're a remote first company now, how do we collaborate better asynchronously so that we're not all sitting on Zoom meetings all day long? We actually have time to think and work together and collaborate and um, write down our thoughts. So this really sort of struck me as as well-timed on that front too, because I think we have the same opportunity with QBRs, which is how do we even take that idea or that concept off the table of a meeting and go provide the output in a way that I can read if I'm an executive or even a, a sponsor or a champion within, uh, within a company uh, with that, that uses a vendor because I've got 20, 30 other vendors that want to have a QBR with me, right? I'm not going to do it all. So I'm probably going to do it for the three software products that matter the most. That said, I will read content. If, if, you know, we use Calendly, we use Gong, we use, um, loom to do videos for, for our customers from our CSMs. I'm not going to sit down with an executive at any of those companies probably, but if they sent me a report that said, Hey, here's how much usage you've had. Here's where from our data, it looks like it's working versus where it's not like, I would read that all day long. It's interesting to me. So anyway, I like this post. It got a lot of traction. Um, and I think it, it really is thought provoking with regard to QBRs in general, what is the purpose? You know, is it really meeting the needs that we have to engage with our customers? So what do you think about all that, Christy? I'll kick it to you. Well, I have so many feelings about EBRs and QBRs just as a general practice. I'm with you. Like the school of thought around them needs to change. So three things that we've done differently. Um, so I'll list out four things. One, so people talk about like, how do you get people there or, or to stop no-showing? One, we set expectations from day one on some of the things that we need and expect our customers to collaborate with us on. We talk about our survey feedback loop, right? Hopefully they'll obviously commit to that. One of them that we do talk about is our core meetings, which is our customer objectives review meetings and their active Ooh, like participation that. in those conversations. So we set that we set the expectations before we even get started with the partnership. So when we get to a place where we do think it's an appropriate time, which isn't quarterly, right? We don't come up with some arbitrary timeline. That's our timeline. When we believe as a partner that it's an appropriate time for us to have a conversation, when we ask for the meeting, it's usually met with, you know, a warm resounding, like, yes, happy to do it. Let's have this conversation. Um, So setting expectations. We also changed to have an alternative to a core meeting, which we introduced what we call a 30 point inspection, which is basically an in-depth audit of how they're using the platform compared to best practices and customers that look and feel like them. Also with an overlaid narrative of just from a consulting standpoint, right? Like how could they be making more use and better use of this? So we've introduced that. And so in a lot of customer accounts where we're not doing the core meeting, where we just, there's a lot of work still to be done because these are like legacy accounts that have been around for a while. We'll sub a 30 point inspection, which our customers love. They love it. They eat it up. It's basically their roadmap to everything that they need to do. Think about going to get your 30 point inspection on your car, oil change, wipers. That is what I thought of. Yeah, that's that's where it came from. And so we do this beautifully presented PDF that 
they get, which has a report card and a scorecard on all the different core elements of our solution and really gives them a guide and a map. We say pick three, and then that's going to drive our next couple engagements so we can get these things back into a good place or where you're driving more value. Um, and the last thing is we're now introducing, this is new for us, recorded uh, Loom version of an EBR where we're not having it with the customers live. We're creating the assets um, in a scaled down deck. Um, so definitely a lot less slides with the CSM providing that overlay conversation and just introducing some information that would be really helpful and packaging that up and sending it because your point as executives, we're not sitting around doing nothing all day. So give them what they need to hear and then invite them to a conversation. And the conversation, instead of asking for an hour on their calendar, we're asking for 15 minutes. So there's a couple couple things that um, I would add to my post. And I think Christy mentioned a number of these. One is the Loom video idea, like record a five to 10 minute video ahead of time, run through the content, two minutes, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, make, but make it, uh, make it impactful, you know, make yeah. it the stuff that's going to matter there. So I keep coming back to this idea. The number one reason that I believe executives don't want to attend a QBR is because there is a lack of agenda and the content goes from highly strategic to highly tactical. And it's because of the people that you have in the room and the way you're talking about the content, right? One minute, we're looking at slides about the outcomes you drove and the metrics and how it's impacting your business. The next minute, I'm telling you about support tickets that are in your queue. I'll tell you right now, Jay is our chief customer officer. Jay doesn't care about support tickets on one of the 30 tools that we use, right? So think about like how that impacts what you're talking about and what you're doing as well is that setting the agenda, I think is the most important thing you can do. And it's the thing that you cannot do alone. So best way for you to build your relationship and get uh, an executive to the table is to work with your day-to-day -day contact and say, what's the agenda? How, we, how do we craft this together? What do they want yep. to see? And then how do you have them, your day-to-day -day contact, run that to the executive or who is on the account? How do you have them run it to them and say, hey, I built this agenda with Jeff. We are going to walk through this stuff. I've made sure that it's stuff that's going to impact you or, or be impactful. Um, but having that ownership develops a, a way better relationship with your day-to-day -day contact. And now you've got that champion inside working for you, right? They're working on your behalf to go to the executive and say, Hey, you know what? I've actually spent time. If I spend time building an agenda, you bet you're asking, I'm going to take it to Jay and be like, Hey, guess what? I built this agenda with them. I'm going to need you here. Like I'm, I didn't just do this for like, you know, the sake of doing it. Like I actually need you to come to this because these are discussions that we need to have. And I made sure the agenda is going to be the right discussion for what we're, what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. yeah. And that is like, I just have, I've had two or three more experiences with CSMs in the last three months. Now uh, I told Jay, or I told you all about a couple of these where we've onboarded. I've now actually been into a cycle of quick story. We have a we have a, an account that I just got asked to a or uh, a, two people ago who like were basically in my role got asked to a QBR. So they clearly don't know. We've actually moved two people. Uh, they don't know that I'm now on the account. So that tells you how well that they've kept a relationship and done that, right? And they just said, "Hey, can I get a QB, can I get a meeting a QBR on your calendar? What are we going to talk about? Why are you asking me for my time? I, we've never even said anything." 
Like, it's just crazy. Like I've just had these experiences because, because they have a, they have a metric that says they have to have so many QBRs for quarter, it's an internal right? mandate, it's right? Like, like, let's be like honest. A cold call. They're not doing it because yeah. they really feel like they want to collaborate with you and understand how they're going to help you no. get more value. They're doing it because they have a leader who's sitting there telling them you need to do X amount of QBRs with your customers this quarter to get whatever. Yeah. And sorry. So then I'm going to get off this, uh, high horse in a second. The second one is the second thing that, um, that Jay mentioned that we have not adapted for in this new realm. We have all this technology where we can collaborate asynchronously and we've been so gun shy to do it with customers because of these excuses, right? The customer is going to reach out to me after hours. Oh my gosh. If the customer has access to me 24 seven, then like, it's going to, you know, Oh, they're, they're just going to eat up all of my time. Those things could be true, but now we've essentially swung in the total other direction where we don't, you know, I know most companies don't open Slack channels with their customers. I know most companies don't want to share a Google doc or a PowerPoint that you can edit in real time. They want to download those. They want to send them over and just think about how like that activity, like Jay said, it just creates all this friction in the motion when all we want to do is collaborate with our customer and all we do is just create friction to doing it, like, and actually collaborating and getting stuff done in real time and moving things forward. So I think of use the tools to your advantage. We have them. How do you go? Like you said, Christy set an expectation. Hey, we're going to open the Slack channel. Here's what ex- exactly used for. Here's when I'm not going to respond. Here's, you know, set limits and set things around it. But I just think it's been almost like wildly swung in the other direction where we've just put a kibosh on all of that. And now it's hurting because now we say, get on the phone, send the slides over, do all these things that create yeah. friction when we have other ways to do it. Well, I, I think that like I'm, I'm less inclined to open up a Slack channel with a customer because that is wild, wild west. What I, what is really more interesting is what you said about, Hey, here's a, here's a particular document about your goals. Like let's collaborate together on that. That way it has a point. It has an objective. It's got a topic and a subject that you can sort of draw a box around. And it's not like, Hey, I've, I can just ping you about whatever question that I have over Slack any time of the day or night. Those are, those are two different things in my mind. I could be swung in that direction, but I just think the, um, so I, I think of this, right. Think of the, who are the best relationships that you have? It's the people that you, that it's not a relationship that you essentially say, I'm only going to email you, or I'm only going to do this. Right. It's somebody yeah. who is, it's more symbiotic. It's more multi-channel. It's, it's constant. Yeah. It's more in this flux, right? Yeah. We talk with Christy. I have a, I have a, a LinkedIn thread with Christy. We have a text message. We've got yep. email. We have a Slack channel. Like think about all these things, right? Like it's, it moves and it morphs. And instead yep. what we've done with our customers and the reason why our customers t- talk to us like vendors is we say, you can only email us or put a support ticket in here. We right? behave like vendors, right? People will treat yeah. you the way that you behave. It's yeah. indicative of that. So, so I just think it, it, and we've got the technology these days. So I'm, maybe there's an invention that's coming where you can like, to your point, Jay, maybe we can like open a Slack channel for only work hours, or maybe it's like, you know, you can uh, route things in certain ways, but I just think it's got to, it's got to start moving in that direction because relationships are becoming that way. It's becoming much more, more harmonious fluid. and symbiotic. Yeah. Fluid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's something to think about for sure. Okay. Um, all right. Who's next? I'll go. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go to Jeff because in my screen. Christy, Christy wants to talk about her content now. Well, I just want to know what slides you're talking about that are so beautifully designed that I did a great I will, job. On. Yeah, I'll, I'll share my screen. Okay. So I thought, so this is going back about 10 months. This is when Christy probably first joined uh, Client Success or roughly, right? It's been about a it's year. a year? Almost. Oh, it'll be a year at the end of this month. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. And I just, I, yeah, I, joked, nice. 
I joked with Christy ahead of time. I did say, I, I was like, these are, these are beautifully done slides. And the thing I liked the most is, so we're looking at this post that Christy put out uh, where she said, Hey, you know, I, I shared my customer journey that they're building at client success. So she's kind of building public. The stage one is alignment. And so we're looking at these slides that Christy um, put out around the customer journey and it's this align phase. Um, and I'll tell you the one thing that resonated or why this struck me is that you put something on here that I think people don't necessarily think about, which is entrance criteria and exit criteria for stages of a journey. I think people think of journeys as mainly time-based. I think people just say, oh, you're in zero to 90 days. So you're here. Oh, you're in 90 to 180 days. You're here. Oh, you're six months out from your renewal. You're here, right? Everyone thinks of a customer in time-based. And I just like that you framed it up and said, here's how a customer enters this phase. Here's how our customer exits. So I'll read Mm -hmm. these real quick and then we can talk through. Um, I have a question for you, Christy, um, before I let Jay talk on this, but entrance criteria, you put the signed contract. So the new customer or existing customer, you know, post renewal or upsell. So basically the entrance criteria for you coming into this align stage is that you've signed a contract with us. There's a document that, you know, is binding between, uh, between us and the customer, the exit criteria confirmed business goals with the customer, a baseline of benchmark baseline benchmark of KPIs, mutual alignment of partnership expectations and requirements, uh, all pre-onboarding materials received and complete. And then the onboarding kickoff call is scheduled. So this, again, this struck me just because these things are also very objective. There's not a lot of subjectivity in the things you wrote, right? The onboarding kickoff call, it's either scheduled or it's not. The um, business goals with the customer, they're like, we've confirmed and written them down and we've got their approval or we don't, right? All of these things are very objective. And so I think it gives a very clear context to the CSM or to the onboarding or implementation leader that says, if we complete these things, we can move that customer over to the next stage. But before that, we need to make sure that these things are done. So I think it's a clear way to set that expectation and process. So I think this is just, it just struck me because I have seen customer journeys in the last couple of weeks and people just still, it's, I've just never resonated because people just put time, random time markers that don't really mean anything. So Christy, I'm just curious, do you still, do you all still use this? Have you updated this since then? This is 10 months ago. So I'd imagine you've probably gone through another iteration or so, but what's, where's this current state? So yes, we still use these slides. This is still our journey. We've made slight modifications to a couple things, but um, one thing I want to call out, right, on the align side of this, and I don't know if everyone can see, but it says like days zero to five. All of our date ranges are internal only, and it's only to provide a guideline to our team around estimations around how long these types of things should happen within or how long it should take. Um, And so we never talk about time with our customers because I've got customers that can move super fast, right? We can do all, we could be through an entire journey in a fraction of the time where we've got other customers where it might take them doubly long and that's okay. It's not about our arbitrary timelines. It's about them actually going through and experiencing all the things that are part of this journey. Um, And so that's just uh, that. So things that we, we've modified, um, we've scaled back on a couple things, but the exit and the entrance criteria pretty much remain the same. They were designed very objectively, right? Because we do need to be able to measure it and be able to say like, yes or no, or have some way to document this. If we leave too much subjectivity there, there'll be too much gray. And then we might have customers who are in places that they shouldn't be for various reasons. So we tried to be very specific about how we were crafting each of these. And we found that it's helped 
us have the appropriate conversations with our customers, but also help them understand where they are with us as we see it. Did you set this up when you, when you joined? I did. Oh, okay. So this was part of the, the new journey that I created when I arrived at Client Success. And when I did the, the boot camp on customer journey mapping and design, you know, I shared this with the broader community and I said, like, here's how we designed it and, and why and why we did an infinity loop versus a, a very linear looking kind of yep. journey straight line. Um, it's not even a straight line that goes up and to the right. It is. It's an infinity loop because we yep. feel that our customers are always going to be on a journey with us. Right. It shouldn't ever end. And a renewal or an upsell or expansion is just another, re, you know, another kind of cycle through that same journey. We yeah. have customers who buy multiple things and they can be in multiple different journeys, right? Like you can have a journey for one product and journey yeah. for something else. And it's not, it's not about where they are necessarily. It's just really a guide for us all to be on the same page. Yeah. Two things about this. Uh, and just one is just a, an interesting observation slash, slash question. When I think of customer journey, I think of of actually not our not the journey they're going through with us per se, but the path that they're on in general, their maturity, their like their adoption of new ideas and concepts and tooling to help them. Like, what are they trying to do? Do you how do you think about the difference between customer journey and customer lifecycle? And that may be splitting hairs, but like I would call this customer lifecycle, not customer journey. I don't your, your customer life cycle. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think the nomenclature just resonates with people, right? I think yeah, that's true. a more mature CS professional might be able to understand the difference. I think to keep things simple and align with just things that folks are comfortable with and not to introduce something that might complicate. Um, We've stuck with customer journey, but I agree with you. This is their life cycle. Okay. This is the life cycle partnership. Their journey has a multitude of things that don't even include us, right? Like their journey and their evolution, that's theirs, right? And we play a small part of that. And what I would expect is that our customers have some visibility or, or design on their own journey and introduce us into what that looks like so we can understand the role we play and, and how we can yep. broadly support in other areas. So, um, so I would assume that my customers would design their own personal journey and our life cycle is really about the partnership with our solution. So I will go out on a limb and say the distinction that you both just made is non-existent in customer success today. I have never once seen a journey that says, Jay, you're a chief customer officer. Here's the journey that you are, you and your organization are on, right? The, how you sell your software and like what you're doing as a customer organization, here's the journey that you all are on and the maturity that you're going through and the, and the decisions and things that you're going to make. Yeah. Never once seen what that looks like. I would love to, because I think that that is like what matters, right? Like wouldn't, that would be much more impactful for you as a leader. But like, I think 99% of what I see out there is this stuff, right? Which is people talk about, Hey, I'm going to show you a version of the journey that is your, it's a customer first journey, but really it's not. And it's also just mainly about how we're going to get you through our tool. Right. I don't, I'm yeah, just saying, it's I, a, I, well, they exist, but we don't, we don't call them journeys. We call them maturity models. Like that, that's, that's where they yeah. exist. But I think you're right. I think very few companies do it and do it well. Actually the best to, to hit your specific example, the best uh, maturity model that I've seen for customer success and more broadly, just for like as a service companies was presented by Jeff Moore at the Tatango conference a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I posted it on a LinkedIn post, but his maturity model around customer success was 
it was very simple and he, you could tell it was a work in progress for him, but it was, it was perfect. And it was, if you look at it, it started with support. Then it talked about adoption. Then it talked about, you know, all these things leading up to how it influences go to market. And he used very simple words to describe it. We'll have to post this with this episode, if we can find it a way to do that. But, um, but it just completely resonated with me as a customer experience leader or customer success leader, CCO. And, um, I think that that would be an ideal thing. It'd be an ideal learning opportunity for every team to go create a maturity model for your customers. Like what does, you know, beginner, good, better, best look like for your customer base in your domain? Like what are the things that the best companies do versus the beginners? What structures do they have? Um, What processes do they have in place? What roles do they have in place? But that is a, I think that's a maturity model kind of concept. And it's really powerful because it gives you something to sort of frame your relationship and your point in time, like maturity on against yeah proposition and i think too right like it just makes it makes more sense of using that to present how our solution could impact your maturity rather than yes where you where you are in our product implementation journey or our product life cycle yes exactly it it just changes the dynamic right hey here's how our tool is going to take you from a to b and it's in your language on something that resonates with you not with something that resonates with me 1000%. That's exactly right. Okay. One other observation on this. Um, so I love the, the, what you said about the internal timeframes, what gets really interesting around this kind of stuff is if you want the align stage, which is what we're looking at here, basically your kickoff stage, right. To take five days, then what, what you want to do is measure that internally, not to make sure that everybody falls inside the five days. Cause that's not the goal. That's the typical time frame for that stage of your customer journey. Right, Christy. But what you want to do is over time, the, the stage gates that really matter. So maybe it's, you know, implementation complete, you know, go live, um, you know, first value or adoption, whatever those, whatever those big milestones are, whatever time they should typically take. If you measure that consistently internally and you keep an eye on it, you don't have to shoot for 100% adhere- adherence to those timelines, but it'll tell you something. If you have 50% of the time customers are not meeting the objective that you think is the appropriate objective for the align phase, then you can go you can go dig into that and say, hey, is there something in our objective criteria that needs to change? Or is there any one of those items that a customer is consistently having problems with that causes this to be more than a five-day process? And then you can begin to go dissect your your customer journey or your customer life cycle and troubleshoot and problem solve with data instead of just with anecdotes, you can pick the biggest challenges and opportunities that you have. So anyway, that's just one of the things that struck me about the, that piece of it, like a good team will begin to measure those things and then work against them to refine and optimize those timeframes. Yeah. And and that's a great point, Joe. We actually started to use a lot of that data insight to also redesign our onboarding experience, which we're now breaking down into multiple stages of onboarding because, you know, I feel like so many companies, especially in the SaaS space, have this like arbitrary timeline of like, oh, 90 days or fast time to value and, and are pushing customers through this really accelerated onboarding. 
or, or whatever it is. I don't even know that I want to call it onboarding, but whatever this go get ready stage is for them. And they're missing out on a lot of the appropriate conversations that they need to have to really ensure that their customers will adopt and use, right? Change management doesn't happen in two weeks. I'm sorry. And that's what we're here to facilitate. If we're change champions and we're working with customers who are adopting new technology, we've got to be more thoughtful about that. So we did use data here to understand that the program that we had in place, although it seemed fast, it didn't feel thorough. So Mm. using data to just really come up with anecdotes that will help you evolve your journey over time, I think is really important. Love it. All right. Right, move on. Yeah, we got six minutes. So we're going to run through Jay's last All right. Well, I'm going to be super quick on reading it out because I think the conversation is more important. So Jay, obviously you put out great content all the time. So yours is not that old. It is a week old. So it's a little baby post. Um, All right. Scaled customer success is not automated. High touch CS, right? So customer scale customer success, not automated, high touch CS. I loved that. It's customer success reimagined. You talked about live events, user groups, entertainment, educational content, product-led adoption, customer communities, product-led onboarding. And so you said it's not delivered by a single team called customer success, but delivered by every department across the business. What scaled customer success programs are you prioritizing at your company? I Loved this. Now, obviously, I speak to CS professionals all the time, being a client success, right? Those are my customers. And there is this really specific mindset that people have around scaled CS, where it's almost like when we get to a point where they want to talk about scaled, it's almost like remove all resources and just digitize everything. When I'm with you, it's it's not about that, right? It's not do more with less. It's like do more, create better experiences. Um, and so I'd love to unpack this with you guys. Immediately what I thought of when you especially had this, it's delivered by every department across the business. Literally, I was thinking my product team, right? How do they contribute to this, right? How do we do more, give our customers more through our product, right? Whether it's in product app guides, creating a better UI, simplifying the product, just things that can help us accelerate how our customers are using and adopting it and driving value. Finance. I would love to not have to follow up with customers on invoices and things like this, right? If finance has a really tight process around Mm. how things get sent out, following up, all that stuff. Um, Marketing, obviously, is a a huge contributor to being able to do more, right? All of the things that you listed out here, I think, fall nicely, maybe not all of them, but most of them fall really nicely into a marketing function. When you think about field marketing and events and communities, um, educational content, right? I am... I still see a lot of marketing teams use the same marketing content and approach with prospects and customers, which I I can't understand why you're marketing to your customers like you do your prospects. I'll never understand that. Um, CS, support, right? All these teams really help drive this. And so I just, I fell in love with this post um, and I was interested by some of the comments, but. You should, you should really be marketing to your prospects as if they are customers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, okay. That's an amazing point. That's a great right? point. We have one marketing strategy. And approach. It's, um, and it's just it. not, it's not the prospect one. We Jay's had, Jay had this quote. This was probably like five years ago now. And I don't know if he ever remembers it, but I say it almost every single day, which is, uh, and I actually just said it to somebody in our team yesterday uh, here at higher logic, which is um, think of the, think of your TAM as all of your customers. Some pay us today. Some pay us in the future. Uh, 
And if you think about it that way, right, then it just changes the dynamic about how you think about the market and what we're saying and what we're doing and how we're interacting. We've put these names, you're a prospect, which means I treat you differently than if you are a, are a customer, when really we shouldn't treat them differently. We just have a different internal process, right? The messaging shouldn't really change that much. The positioning, the problems we're solving, those all should actually remain consistent, whether you are a prospect or a customer. It's just the way that we interpret the information internally to process it is different. If you're a prospect, I need you to go to sales and go through this. If you're a customer, you go through CSM. But for some reason, we've we've thought we had to say something different to a prospect that we say differently to a customer. Yeah, that's that might turn into a new LinkedIn post. Um, you're welcome. We, we, we talked with uh, Carlos Cazada from Aruba. HPE. Mm-hmm. Was it yesterday, right, Jeff? Yeah. We recorded a podcast episode with him and, and Matt Harmon. And the interesting thing is for them, they, they actually don't even call their team customer success anymore. They, they, they call it as a service operations and in Carlos's thing, which I don't know what order these will come out, but go listen to that podcast. He talks about the, the, as a service operations team is the team that's leading the transformation of the business toward customer success, which we've talked about on this podcast many times, customer success is a team, but that's not customer success. Customer success in SaaS or platform as a service or whatever as a service you run are sort of synonymous with customer success, right? And it's a, and it's a full, like if you don't do the cross-functional effort around that, everybody playing their part in that experience you don't get it right. And so, you know, the, the takeaway from that is the people, the, the people who are running some of the, some of the customer success teams out there are not the right people to do what we're talking about right here, which is the, as a service operations that makes a customer journey feel fluid and smooth, no matter what size organization you are, a lot of customer success teams are high touch customer success. And that's cool. We need that. But that's an overlay on top of this, which, you know, in, in Carlos's world, which I actually happen to agree with more and more, this has to come first, the scaled customer experience. Um, so anyway, it was just relevant and timely that we had that discussion yesterday and that you picked that post. Well, I mean, I just yeah. thought that was great. And just your positioning right there, you can think about this as the foundation of what you build customer success on, right? Like you yep. can't go do the higher touch engagement without having some of these core functions in place in these operating models. Well, we'll think about the benefit of that, right? That a lot of times we, we think customer success managers are going to solve all of our problems. And I post on this every once in a while too. The reality is customers, well, customer success managers, first of all, are not going to stay with you forever, especially in this environment in this economy in this labor market. So, how are you going to combat the fact that relationships evolve over time and people will move on and change? You have to have some kind of meaningful relationship at the brand level, meaning I'm getting value from higher logic. I'm getting value from client success, even without talking to my CSM, right? I know that these folks are thinking about me and they're, they're putting my interests first because they've released content that's relevant and helpful to me, that they've included me in events that I can go meet my peers, um, that they're giving me training opportunities that, that they know I'm going to need on their product as they do new releases. So it's, it's like that whole, you know, rising tide floats all boats kind of concept. And then you layer on the one-to-one touch on top of that. And that's when it gets really, really powerful. 
Agreed. All right. Good quick session. We had three nice LinkedIn posts. We uh, we got to talk through. So one is around QBRs. Another was around the idea of a customer journey or customer lifecycle. And then last one, we just um, hit on quickly is this idea of, of scaled and digital customer success and how that starts to play a role. So um, enjoy this one. This is a nice quick. Yeah, it's fun. So. All right. Yeah, I, I think my big takeaway is that I have to get better, deeper content um, <laughs> back on my regular cadence of LinkedIn posts. No, no, Jeff no. had to go ten months deep to go no, find a post. I was just trying to go. <laughs> so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna noodle on that for the rest of the day and think about my content strategy because I've clearly no, been I would, Jeff down. All I wanted to do was pull something from the depths that you wouldn't remember, that you would not, you know, come to mind regularly. So you've got you give plenty to the community. So. <laughs> There's more you, know, there. you don't know what my content strategy is on LinkedIn. You, you, you're going to be blown away because it's so sophisticated. I grab a Tito's and soda around nine o'clock every night. I go scroll through my feed. I go scroll through things I've written in the past and just wait till something strikes me. And then I write something while I'm sitting on the couch drinking my Tito's and soda. The problem is that's my that strategy. That hour, I'm already sleeping. And so I've done <laughs> anything to exhaust me to 9 p.m. that I don't actually have that little bit of time. The little window. And I'm definitely not having a Tito's. And I and I wish both of those things were happening. I'm not Fair saying enough. my 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 routine is healthy. I'm just saying that's what it is. What it is. It's just judgment free. I mean you could be up with me at 4 a.m. and, and at the gym at five. So that's an alternative, right? Yikes. Yeah. I, I could, but I could see this is why my content's suffering. So <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. There we go. <laughs> See y'all. Love y'all. See ya. Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.